even touching on Trump's obvious racism gets it on you. Yep. Also, a fair amount of bronzer. That too. <laughs> From Pacifica Radio in Los Angeles, this is the broadcast, as heard on KPFK 90.7 FM in LA, up in Red Bluff and Redding, California on KFOI, Round Mountains KKRN, and Eureka's KGOE. Up in Oregon on the Central Coast on KYAQ, Cottage Grove's KSO, and Eugene's KEPW. Out in Lancaster, Pennsylvania on WLRI, Maui, Hawaii's KAKU. In Columbus, Ohio on WGRN, Palinville, New York's WLPP. In Grand Rapids on WPRR, in New Orleans on WHIV, Gallup, New Mexico's KNIZ. In Concord, New Hampshire, on WNHN, Fayetteville, Arkansas's KPSQ. In Seattle, on KODX, Janesville, Wisconsin's WADR, and Minneapolis, St. Paul's AM 950 KTNF. We also stream coast-to-coast and around the globe every day on the Internet on the Progressive Voices Channel, Netroots Radio, Indie Media Weekly, FYI Nation, NicoleSandler.com, Radio Free Brooklyn, Workforce Rising, Deprogrammed Radio, and Detour Talk. Blanketing planet Earth five days a week. I am Brad Friedman, your friendly investigative blogger, journalist, troublemaker, muckraker, and all-around swell fellow, says me, from Bradblog.com. Thank you very much for joining us today for a program that I have rewritten and restructured about five times since waking <laughs> up this morning. Yeah, that's kind of how it works these With days. With more and world. more coming in every minute and uh, picking and choosing what we're going to cover here Uh so uh, hope, hopefully I made the right choices. We'll see. Uh, this sort of uh, just minutes ago sidelined everything all over again, breaking as we go to air today. The, uh, the president of Planned Parenthood was forced out of her job on Tuesday after less than a year as the group's new president in a dispute over the direction of the nation's largest women's reproductive rights organization amid growing political and legal challenges to abortion. According to The Washington Post, Planned Parenthood's board met in emergency session on Tuesday and approved Leanna Wen's immediate departure just eight months after she took over the post. The move occurs at one of the most difficult moments in the group's history. The organization faces growing financial peril from a Trump administration rule that took effect on Monday night, suddenly, without warning barring federally funded family planning clinics from providing referrals for abortions. It's also under attack by anti-abortion lawmakers at the state and federal level and is threatened by the prospect that the 1973 ruling Roe v. Wade that legalized abortion as a constitutionally protected right could now be overturned by the uh, U.S. Supreme Court's new radical stolen far-right majority. People familiar with the now-ousted Wen's position said that she had been battling over the organization's direction with new board chair Amy Cunningham, 
uh, who arrived in May. Wen, who was trained as an emergency room physician and served as Baltimore's health commissioner for four years, had tried to refocus the organization's mission and image as a health provider offering a wide array of services, including abortions. She had uh, replaced a number of the organization's top officials with people who supported that approach. But those close to Wen, according to The Post, said that she was opposed by some board members and others who wanted to emphasize the organization's commitment to abortion rights. But as to that new federal rule I mentioned that took effect as of the uh, surprise announcement on Monday night by Trump's Department of Health and Human Services shortly after we got off air yesterday, that the Trump administration would immediately begin enforcing a new regulation that prevents Title X funding for low-income women from being given to groups like uh, Planned Parenthood for even referring a patient to another doctor for an abortion. That funding, about $260 million for family planning services, which provides some 4 million women with low-cost or free health care services, including mammograms and pap smears, well, that will now be cut off for medical service providers that even refer women for abortions. Federal law already bars federal funding for uh, being used for actual abortions as is, but what this now means for Planned Parenthood and dozens of states who filed suit against this new rule months ago, uh, now that uh, now that it is going, going into effect, what happens now? What happens to the cases that uh, have not even been heard yet? We'll be joined by Politico's Alice Olstein momentarily to help us try and figure that out. She's been covering this matter closely while uh, much of the rest of the media and, yes, Democrats have been successfully distracted by Donald Trump's Twitter feed and other shiny objects, which, uh, well, we're distracted by as well, I guess, today. As we go to air, the Democratic-led House is preparing to vote on a resolution condemning Donald Trump for those racist, sexist tweets over the weekend, urging four progressive Democratic freshman congresswomen of color to, quote, go back to the countries they came from, That despite all of them being American citizens and three of the four of them being born right here in the U.S. Well, Nancy Pelosi is allowing a vote on that resolution to condemn Donald Trump because, well, I guess it has almost zero actual effect. It's not even a censure. It's simply a condemnation. So beyond uh, placing Republicans on record as to whether they condemn Trump's racism or not, it doesn't do a hell a whole hell of a lot, frankly. And given that uh, most of the Republicans appear just fine with Trump's tweets and racism and telling these women that they hate America because they are critical of this administration and its policies, well, I suspect most of the uh, Republicans will have no problem voting against that condemnation. Uh, We'll see. That's happening, I think, this hour. Uh, Meanwhile, Congressman Al Green said that he plans to introduce his articles of impeachment against Donald Trump on Tuesday night after the floor vote on whether to condemn Donald Trump and that he will then force a House floor vote on those articles of impeachment in the coming days. Green said in a statement that he will read his articles, 
quote, before the close of business today. A spokeswoman for Green said that he has informed uh, Democratic leaders of his plans. Green said that Trump's tweeted comments over the weekend against the four Democratic congresswomen, which included uh, Trump doubling down yesterday to declare during a White House press avail that Congresswomen uh, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez, Ayanna Presley, Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, quote, hate America. Uh, Green said uh, that that pushed him to force a vote on impeachment, which will be the first since Democrats took over the House majority in January. Green previously forced two procedural votes on his articles of impeachment back in December of 2017 and January of 2018. When Republicans controlled the House, both efforts drew the support of about 60 Democrats Green argued that the House should uh, should uh, should not just stop at condemning Trump's remarks targeting the freshman congresswomen, according to the uh, to the Hill this afternoon. He says to condemn a racist president is not enough. We must impeach him. The Washington Post, however, reports that the move will trigger a contentious vote in the coming days to confront an issue which has bitterly divided the Democratic Party in the House. Green's move will force House Democrats to deal with this issue sooner rather than later, they report. Under House rules, Democratic leadership can decide to try to table the impeachment articles, uh, effectively killing them for now with a vote to send them to the House Judiciary Committee to be considered there. Uh, But killing them for now would risk criticism from the party's liberal base, according to the Post. They could also refer them to the uh, House Judiciary Committee for possible consideration or allow a vote to proceed. If leaders do nothing, Green can, in fact, force a vote on the impeachment articles within two legislative days. This move comes as more than 80 members now of the House have called for launching an impeachment inquiry. House Speaker Nancy Pelosi, however, has resisted, encouraging Democratic House committee chairs instead to keep investigating the president. The uh, Judiciary Committee is scheduled to receive testimony along with the Intelligence Committee from former special counsel Robert Mueller next Wednesday. That, after previous plans for him to testify this Wednesday, were pushed back, allowing for extra time for Mueller in front of uh, both the Judiciary and Intelligence Committees next week. Desi, I know you're looking forward to that. (laughs) Uh, Impeachment uh, proponents also seem to be divided on the idea of forcing a vote on impeachment right now, according to the Post. Some, including House Homeland Security Chair Benny Thompson, Democrat of Mississippi, said uh, that uh, he would support an immediate move to impeach the president. But others, like Congressman Jamie Raskin of Maryland, who is a strong impeachment backer, he hesitated. He said, we're trying to keep the caucus together as we respond to the most lawless administration of our lifetimes. Raskin said, I'm enough of a political pragmatist to believe that you call votes when you think you can win them, not when you think you can lose them. Leadership officials said Pelosi may move to refer the articles of impeachment to the judiciary panel, though her office has not yet weighed in. Some leadership officials, however, worry that Pelosi could struggle to find the votes to refer the articles to the committee. 
It would take a majority of her caucus, but uh, Republicans would not help delivering any of those votes. Earlier on Tuesday, House Majority Leader Steny Hoyer said that Democratic leaders had yet to establish a strategy for the vote that Green is now threatening. But Hoyer suggested he would not try to prevent Green from forcing the vote. Hoyer said, I think he feels strongly about it, and if he deems it appropriate to offer it, he'll offer it. I'm not going to discourage him, said Hoyer. He has to do what he thinks is right. But Hoyer went on to reiterate that Democratic leaders think pushing for impeachment right now is premature. I think we need to hear from Mueller and analyze what he has to say, said Hoyer. I think there's a lot of information to come, and we'll see, as the speaker has said, where it leads us. Well, there is a lot of information to come, but there's also a lot of damage uh, to come. There's a lot of damage that is already being wrought. And uh, I'm not sure, just my opinion, that a vote of condemnation uh, cuts it at this point. But that's where the Democrats are. This in response, once again, to uh, what Twitter, uh, what Trump wrote on Twitter on Sunday about these uh, four congresswomen who um, is now they're now informally known as the squad, apparently. And he wrote on Sunday that they loudly and viciously, Trump did, loudly and viciously tell the people of the United States, the greatest and most powerful nation on Earth, how our government is to be run. If somebody has a problem with our country, if somebody doesn't want to be in our country, they should leave, Trump later told reporters in response to questions about his tweets, including doubling down by saying that these women, quote, hate America. Well, who actually hates America? And what is it that these women have actually said that would lead him to uh, charge that they hate America? And short answer in short is absolutely nothing. Uh, Philip Bump of The Washington Post dug into this claim and 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 looked at the various things that the squad has had to say about America, not specifically about Donald Trump or his policies, but about America. And he also looked at what Donald Trump had to say about America, not the Democratic Party or his political opponents, but specifically about America. So Desi Doyen. Uh, here's a quick uh, quick quiz for you that they put okay. together. You get to decide who said what. I get to be what. the guinea pig. You get to be the guinea pig, <laughs> okay. as usual, on the program. Uh, so you're welcome. So uh, our country, here's uh, who, who who said this? Was it a member of the squad or was it a member of uh, or was it uh, Donald Trump? So uh, question one, our country has become so politically correct that it has lost all sense of direction or purpose. Who said it? Well, that sounds like Trump. That was Trump. You're absolutely right. I grew up in an extremely unjust society, and the only thing that made my family excited about coming to the U.S. was that the U.S. was supposed to be the country that guaranteed justice to all. So I feel it necessary for me to speak uh, to speak about that promise that is not kept. Well, that sounds like Representative Ilhan Omar. And in fact, it is. Okay. You knew it wasn't Trump because it had a whole lot of words in it. It was a fully completed sentence. <laughs> it was inspirational. There it you talked go. about values that's that right. we have as Americans. Well, that's right. But that would make you an America hater, apparently, had you <laughs> said the same thing, Des. Uh, how about this? Our country and our, quote, leaders are getting dumber all the time. Well, that sounds like Trump. That is Trump. Okay. <laughs> how stupid has our once respected country become? Also Trump. Also Trump. Okay. Did you ever think our country would become an economic basket case? 
Well, that also sounds like Trump. That is Trump. Okay. Have you seen our country look weaker or more pathetic? Also Trump. Also Trump. Okay. I am told every day that I am anti-American. If I am not pro-Israel, I find that to be problematic and I am not alone. That also that sounds like the squad. That was the squad. That was Elon Omar. Still Elon. Okay. In fact, um, the uh, our country is looking very bad right now. Who is that? Donald Trump or the squad? Trump. That is Trump. And finally, do you believe our once great country can continue to survive with incompetent leadership? The answer is no. And we better move fast. Who said it? Trump or the squad? I'm gonna say Trump. You are correct. That was ah, Trump. I know so, my Trump better than I thought I did. You do. See, you got him all right. Uh, Philip Bump says you presumably noticed that most of these comments came from Trump himself. Trump doesn't see himself as unpatriotic, quite the opposite. He sees himself as enormously patriotic, going so far as to hug the flag. You've seen that many times. His criticisms were aimed at Obama and Democrats, he would no uh, doubt argue. But the language, in fact, targets the U.S., not Obama and the Democrats. In reviewing comments from the four freshman Democrats that are being targeted here by Donald Trump as hating America so much that they should leave and go back to their own countries, which in three of the four cases are actually America, where they were born, Philip Bump says it was hard to find any similarly explicit denunciations of the U.S. There were examples of criticism of Republicans and Trump in particular, but we excluded Trump's voluminous similar critiques of the opposing party from the mix. So that's about all that he was able to come up with. He says, at its heart, this is one tension underlying Trump's view of American politics. There is plenty of space for criticizing his opponents in stark, derogatory terms, but opposing his policies or his presidency is framed as hostility to the country itself. Bump writes, imagine if Rashida Tlaib had asked on Twitter if people had, quote, ever seen our country look weaker or more pathetic. Uh, can you imagine if she did that, the heat that she would get in response for saying something like that? Well, Trump said exactly that and worse over years and years and years under Obama. Had Ocasio-Cortez once said that, quote, our country is looking very bad right now, as Donald Trump did, the furor would be immediate, Bump argues. After all, that's not at all what she or her colleagues did, and they have still been labeled as un-American. Well, of course they have. I mean, excuse me, for Trump and his base, I mean, they don't find people of color to be citizens of America that actually nope. count. Their opinions don't count, and they got no right to complain. America's for white people, as far as Trump's concerned. Yep. And so we'll, uh, we'll see how this vote of condemnation goes, but boy, it would be nice to see Given the presidency that we're dealing with, given with what we're about to talk about with Alice Olstein, given uh, what's going on at the border, given the way he has undermined the Constitution, given the law after law after law that he has found to have broken, I'm not even sure why we are not already talking about impeachment. But with that said, um, Stephen Colbert was uh, back after a two week break. You got a two week break, Des. Must be nice. <laughs> yeah. 
two weeks. Anyway, he was back and refreshed after that uh, two-week break, and uh, boy, was he uh, hot and bothered about Donald Trump's uh, racist tweets over the weekend. Very simply, you can leave. You can leave right now. Come back if you want. Don't come back. It's okay, too. But if you're not happy, you can leave. Oh, shut up. say that but come on nobody complains about america more than you do you cranky old nut lid <laughs> everything in your life has been handed to you on a silver platter and yet you every other word out of your mouth is a tantrum that we get a toddler dragged out of a ball pit you complain about everything you don't like bet midler who doesn't like bet midler the divine miss m the wind beneath our wings I'll tell you, if someone is leaving this country, it should be you. And if you're looking for a new home, might I suggest that you go to hell. Then, then. <laughs> that standing ovation went on and on and on for that comment. Uh, Stephen Colbert speaks for me. That's all I'll say. I feel better. Let him uh, get it out of my system for me. Thank you, Mr. Colbert. So I do feel better. That may change, however, after we speak with our next guest. We will see. And if it doesn't, I'm sure that Desi Doyen's Green News report will ruin everything before the show <laughs> is over. But first, the Trump administration's surprise announcement on Monday night that they are immediately and radically rewriting federal law regarding who may or may not receive some $260 million in federal funding for family planning services. I guess instead of leaving the country because they didn't like its laws, uh, the Trump administration just decided to change them, in this case by executive fiat. What will that mean for some four million low-income women who rely on that funding for medical services? Well, we will ask Politico's Alice Olstein next on the Bradcast. I'm Brad Friedman. Don't touch that dial. <laughs> Hey, this is Brad. Do you enjoy your non-corporatized, commercial-free broadcast? Yeah, me too. But we need your help to stay that way. Please consider supporting the investigative blogging, broadcasting, and muckraking that we do here on the Bradcast and the Green News Report and bradblog.com with a donation. It's easy. Stop by bradblog.com donate and drop a few dollars in the tip jar. You can make a one-time contribution or an automatic monthly donation of any amount you like. It's easy. It'll take you about 60 seconds, and you'll help me and Desi stay on the air to continue our troublemaking and muckraking without the corporate influence of anyone. Got it? Thanks. Stop by bradblog.com donate to help us out today. Welcome back to the Bradcast. Brad Friedman from bradblog.com. Alice Olstein joins us momentarily. You know, 
For a party that used to pretend to be outraged when a president exercised executive branch authority to do what they considered to be <clears throat> circumventing of, of congressionally in, enacted laws, the Trump administration sure is using a lot of its executive branch authority to radically rewrite and circumvent a whole lot of congressionally enacted laws. Republicans used to accuse and, in fact, sue presidents like Barack Obama when he or his administration took actions that they considered to be uh, imperial and king-like in rewriting rules and regulations with executive orders. But they don't seem to have much problem with that anymore, do they? None. No problem, in fact. Zero. On Monday morning, with the stroke of his pen, Trump's Attorney General Bill Barr entered a new rule into the Federal Register that, as of today, bars almost all migrants coming to this country from seeking asylum at our southern border in a radical, opponents call it wholly unlawful, rewrite of decades of immigration law, policy, and court precedent. By Monday night... All of this, by the way, while most of the media and politicians in D.C. and Trump at the White House were having it out over his racist tweets about four Democratic congresswomen of color. Uh, all of that by Monday night, uh, the administration's Department of Health and Human Services announced another radical reform of decades old federal law that would take effect immediately, they say. HHS announced late on Monday that family planning clinics receiving funding for contraception and other health services for low-income women under the federal Title X program in states across the country would now lose their federal funding if they provided referrals for abortion services. Not actual abortions, mind you, but medical referrals to other doctors to perform the procedure. Federal funding of actual abortions is already prohibited by law under the so-called Hyde Amendment. That has been the case now for decades. But now federal funding will be cut off for those clinics and doctors who even refer women to those who may provide abortion services in this new regulation being described by critics as a gag rule on medical service providers. At the same time, the new regulation will also allow for federal funding to go to anti-abortion religious-based groups who frequently disguise their agenda by posing as medical service providers, at least as I understand it. The new rule proposed earlier this year by HHS is currently being challenged in multiple federal lawsuits by more than a dozen states, as well as nonprofit family planning groups and advocates such as Planned Parenthood, whose federal funding for low-income patients would likely be all but cut off under the new rule. Anti-choice advocates who saw the changes to the Title X family planning program as a way to cut funding to Planned Parenthood, of course, are applauding the new radical Trump administration action under which, as Alice Olstein and Rachel Rubin report at Politico today, clinics will now be barred from referring patients to an abortion provider but required to refer them for prenatal care regardless of a patient's wishes. Moreover, as the pair reported back in March shortly after the then-proposed new restriction was announced, under the revamped rules, clinics offering abortions would need to construct physically separate entrances 
hire separate staff and maintain separate medical records for its abortion and non-abortion providers, a requirement reproductive care groups argue is so costly that some or perhaps many sites would be forced to close. That, of course, being the entire point behind the measure, many critics justifiably argue. The National Family Planning and Reproductive Health Association, which represents many Title X-funded organizations across the country, blasted the administration's abrupt decision on Monday night to begin enforcing the rule without warning, according to Olstein and Rubin. They cite the group's um, president, Claire Coleman, as noting that the plan to immediately implement the new rule, quote, comes without any guidance or due diligence informing providers what steps would constitute compliance with the requirements in this sweeping new regulation. Coleman added, once again, the administration's actions show its intent is to further an ideological agenda not protect and improve health care for those in need. All of this now presents some difficult decisions for dozens of states which currently accept Title X funding for health care services, including cancer screenings and family planning for millions of low-income women, and whether those states will no longer participate in the Title X program at all, given the new onerous rules for doing so, which are now apparently in effect as of today. Joining us now is Politico's Alice Olstein, who's been covering this and other healthcare related matters and much more for Politico from Washington, D.C. for some time now uh, at Talking Points Memo before that. And if memory serves, at Think Progress even before that. Welcome back to the broadcast, Alice Olstein. Thank you. So uh, very quickly, Title X was originally enacted with strong bipartisan support in 1970, as noted by that radical liberal uh, president at the time, Richard Nixon, when he signed the measure as part of the Public Health Service Act. How important has the Title X program become to not just low-income women in the years since then, but to states that now rely on this funding from the federal government? Uh, yes. So this uh, program. Well, the Trump administration rule mm -hmm. that overhauls the program has been in the works for more than a year, and it was rolled out earlier this year, and it's been tied up in federal court ever since. But because the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals in California gave the Trump administration a green light mm -hmm. to go ahead and implement it while the legal challenges are still ongoing and could be ongoing for several more months to come, could end mm -hmm. up in the Supreme Court. That's very likely. Um, so they're going to, they announced last night, we found out that they're going to go ahead and put the rules into effect. So now any clinic that makes abortion referrals for patients who request one will have their funding cut. And so lots of clinics across the country, including all Planned Parenthood clinics, which serves a large portion of the Title X population, mm -hmm. said that they can't comply with that. That's against their ethics as doctors um, to not be able to make a referral that a patient requests. Mm -hmm. And so they said, we're going to exit this program. We're going to try to rely on our own funding for as long as we can. We're going to hope that the courts block this rule. And we're going to try to keep our doors open and serve this low-income population. But as you noted, that could be a struggle. 
the, the there are dozens of states that rely on this funding. It's millions of dollars. Um, and states like California and Washington State, you report, uh, who are both suing to prevent the new rule uh, in separate cases that they each filed, uh, they've threatened to just drop out of the Title X program entirely. This will cost them, as far as I can tell, millions of dollars. Do they have the funds to cover the shortfall, uh, not to mention groups like Planned Parenthood, who said they will no longer accept Title X funding under the new rule? Is there money out there to cover this? So, again, each state and each organization will have to evaluate going forward. They're scrambling now with this news um, to see how they are going to be able to remain open. Mm -hmm. They might go for some aggressive fundraising. They might apply for state funding uh, if it's available. A couple states have already designated funding in anticipation of this happening, um, but only a handful. Uh, Just Maryland and Massachusetts, I believe, have done that but other states could as well. So it's just mass confusion and chaos going on. Um, For a change, yeah. (laughs) Um, The grantees from across the country are meeting in D.C. with HHS this week, and we'll uh, presumably learn more then about the fate of this program. Now, as you noted, uh, the the Ninth uh, U.S. Uh, Court of Appeals has said that this rule can go forward even while the suits are in place. Have have any of the suits, even uh, the lawsuits, had had their day in court yet? Has there been a trial for this, or has this all been uh, sort of pretrial motions up until now? There have been uh, several days in court already. So at the district court level, there were multiple national injunctions on this rule. Um, but those were recently overturned by the Ninth Circuit Court of Appeals, as I said. Um, they mm-hmm. allowed the rule to go into effect. Um, it was a party-line split with the judges. Uh, people think of the Ninth Circuit as a liberal court, but in this instance, we had seven judges who were nominated by Republican presidents voting to allow the rule to go into effect, and we had four judges nominated by Democratic presidents saying it should be blocked. Just more chaos. Uh, Alice Holstein, you reported back in March that the president of the anti-choice Susan B. Anthony List group, uh, a woman by the name of Marjorie Dannenfelser, told you, quote, It is a shame that some states are so committed to promoting abortion that they would give up federal uh, federal family planning dollars holding women's health hostage to abortion allegiance. We are hopeful that other entities devoted to authentic health care for women, not abortion, will step forward. There's there's a lot packed into that one quote. Um, But first, is she saying that abortion is not authentic health care? Do actual medical professionals uh, tend to agree with that assessment? If so? Well, this is a major point of contention between the two sides on this very divisive issue, obviously. So you have groups like Planned Parenthood and, you know, less advocacy-oriented groups, um, you know, of, of medical providers. Mm-hmm. Um, the AMA, for instance, which is part of the Title Ten lawsuit, saying that this is part of the continuum of reproductive health care. And you have conservative groups saying this is absolutely not part of health care. It should be considered completely separate. It should not have any federal funding, um, which was already true under federal law. It was already the case that no federal funding could go directly to providing abortions. That has been the case for decades. It's still the case now. This new Title X rule is in addition to that because the Trump administration said 
even with that funding prohibition, there was still the chance that funding for Title X services, contraception, cancer screenings, et cetera, could become intermingled with the separate funding these clinics got for abortion services. And thus the requirement uh, that you report to build separate uh, entrances, separate uh, staff for each of these uh, various elements of the services and so forth uh, that sound clearly like they'd be ridiculously onerous uh, and for no good reason. Um, Finally, she says, uh, uh, Dan and Felser of this uh, anti-choice group, says uh, she refers to other entities devoted to authentic health care for women, that they would step forward to fill this gap uh, if Planned Parenthood and some of the uh, states drop out of the program entirely. What other entities is she referring to there? Is that these uh, these fake pregnancy centers that are actually religious-based anti-choice groups disguised as medical outfits to uh, to fool women into seeking uh, you know, other uh, reproductive services and so forth. Is that what they are talking about? Will Title X money now go to those sorts of groups? So Title X money can now go to religiously affiliated clinics that were not eligible before. And in the last round of funding, um, a group called Obria in California got $5 million for the first time ever. And this is an organization that has clinics that do not provide any forms of um, hormonal uh, contraception or anything other than counseling abstinence and the rhythm method and and things like that. Now, under the program, they still have to subcontract with a clinic that does provide FDA-approved forms of birth control. So they aren't allowed to just completely have the abstinence counseling and nothing else. But, again, these outfits were not eligible for funding earlier and now they are we will see if now with this rule being allowed to go into effect if more will apply but based on our reporting there's going to be lots of states where Planned Parenthood and maybe the state health agencies will quit the program over this rule and HHS may not be able to find anyone willing to step in and take their place these provider networks are very difficult to set up Um, we saw for instance Arizona, the state of Arizona, applied for funding last year, received it, mm-hmm. and was not able to actually use it in time and did not get funding the following year because it's very difficult. So when you have um, an organization like Planned Parenthood that has been part of Title X for decades and has these provider networks, has the clinics set up and the um, medical um, folks already on staff, mm-hmm. that um, is difficult when that's disrupted to recreate it or replace it. So uh, this takes place, uh, takes effect uh, immediately, as I understand it. Does that mean that doctors right now, uh, today, must stop uh, saying anything to their Title X patients about abortion under law, even in cases where an abortion m- might be medically necessary? So the HHS says that non-directive counseling is still allowed. That means that a provider can talk about abortion as an option, but is not allowed to make a referral or to tell a patient where she can go to uh, obtain an abortion. And so that's why um, the folks that are suing to try to block this rule, the folks in Congress who oppose it, call this a gag rule because it blocks 
uh, the medical providers from making that referral and giving the patients the information they're requesting. And of course, this change uh, primarily affects low-income women, not wealthy women, correct? Who, who can they can still have uh, uh, referrals for abortion services, uh, just as so long as we're they're they're not accepting uh, funding via Title Ten, correct? Right, and so no federal funding of any kind um, can go towards abortions right now. And so someone who is on Medicaid, for instance, mm-hmm. cannot um, have an abortion paid through paid for by Medicaid unless it's a case of rape, incest, or the life is in danger. So there are these exceptions. But um, also uh, federal employees on their federal health insurance can also not get coverage for an abortion. So... Mm-hmm. Um, This is something that Democrats in the House are really talking about. Um, They're calling for the Hyde Amendment to be overturned so that federal funding could go towards abortion care. That is not going to happen with the current Senate and the current president. And actually, it's interesting that even the current House has not actually voted for that to happen. So um, this is, yes, (laughs) definitely an ongoing fight. What happened to the uh, Republican claims, Alice, uh, that we heard endlessly during the debate over the Affordable Care Act, uh, Obamacare, that you covered in great detail? What happened to the GOP claims that big government must not come between a patient and their doctors? Uh, I mean, isn't this exactly the thing that they pretended that they were against for all of those years while they were fighting the uh, Affordable Care Act? Well, they would say that, like I like I said, um, that abortion should be considered separate because it is ending a potential life. Um, it's not so an authentic, not, uh, an authentic. It's not authentic health care for women, as that uh, Susan B. Anthony woman uh, described. Right. So they would argue that abortion should be considered as a, a separate debate from from health care. <laughs> Now, many, yeah, good luck with that. Uh, many of the uh, Trump administration's regulations, meanwhile, have been blocked entirely by the courts, uh, either for failing to be carried out uh, correctly under the Administrative uh, Procedures Act, for example, or have simply been found to be in violation of the Constitution. What's the, what's the general uh, basis under which this rule is now being challenged? And, you know, like many of the recent immigration law changes by the administration, uh, do opponents feel uh, strongly that the courts will, in fact, block the new rule? Or is this one that may actually uh, get through and, and remain in place? So this is one that may actually get through and remain in place. And part of that is because the Reagan administration passed very similar Title X rules. And it was a very long legal battle, but ultimately the Supreme Court upheld it. And we have an even more conservative Supreme Court today. So that leads folks to believe that, you know, this is going to be a long legal fight, but in the end, it might be allowed. Um, And the fact that even the Ninth Circuit, which, again, people consider a more progressive court, was not willing to block the rule is not a great sign for the folks challenging it. And because this is an executive action, essentially, this can also this could also simply be reversed once again uh, the next time a Democrat uh, gets into the White House. Correct. Yes. And that's exactly what happened last time. So the Reagan administration enacted this, but Mm -hmm. it didn't go into effect until just before Bill Clinton took office, and then he swiftly reversed it. So, yes, a future president would be able to rewrite the rule and uh, once again ensure that Title X providers could 
make abortion referrals and undo these other changes. Um, so the legal challenges center on a lot of different things. They say that this rule violates parts of the Affordable Care Act, which is also itself now mm-hmm. vulnerable in court. But they also are making sort of a free speech claim, saying you're restricting the speech of doctors and compelling them to um, make these prenatal care referrals, regardless of their wishes and the patient's wishes. So there's some interesting constitutional and statutory arguments. Interesting. Uh, We will uh, keep our eyes on that. Before I let you go, Alice Olstein, I I suspect we'll be talking about this as well in the near future. Uh, Very quickly, you, you refer to this, a panel. On the Fifth U.S. Circuit Court of Appeals heard a challenge to the constitutionality of the entire Obamacare law last week after a lower federal court judge in Texas said it should be struck down entirely in a suit that many thought was a ridiculous claim initially. Are we now looking at the potential imminent demise of the Affordable Care Act by judicial fiat, as as far as you can tell? Should we be worried yet about that, Alice? Well, the fact that it has made it all the way up to the Fifth Circuit Court of Appeals, which is just one step below the Supreme Court, and received quite a favorable hearing uh, last week, according to my coworker who was down in the courtroom in New Orleans in person. So, um, yes, this, this is a real possibility, but a lot of different things could happen, and it's a lot less clear than just the court's going to throw out Obamacare or the court's going to uphold Obamacare. A lot of different things could happen. The court could just throw out the consumer protection pieces of Obamacare, just the protections for people with pre-existing conditions, which is what the Justice Department originally argued should happen, although now they've changed and now they're arguing that the entire law should be thrown out. Or the court could send it back down to the lower court for more clarity since the lower court decision was very sweeping and surprising and Mm -hmm. would have all these repercussions. Um, Or there was even the possibility floated during the arguments that it could be thrown out just in certain states. Also, with the national healthcare system that we have, that would cause a lot of chaos as well. So there's just a ton of uncertainty. This seems headed to the Supreme Court unless, like I said, they might not want this to be at the Supreme Court right in the heat of the 2020 election. (laughs) That might not look good for Republicans. Um, since anxiety over the Affordable Care Act helped Democrats win back the House in 2018. They might not want to repeat that in 2020, so they could buy themselves more time by sending it back down to the lower court. We just don't know what's going to happen. Yeah, you say chaos as if that's a a, a bad thing, when I think that uh, the Trump administration quite enjoys the chaos. But, yeah, any decision by the Supreme Court could potentially come like a uh, turd in the punch bowl right in the middle of the 2020 presidential elections uh, next June. Uh, finally, Alex Bolton at The Hill reports that Republicans on Capitol Hill are sort of freaking out about the fact that the Affordable Care Act could be struck down by the courts. Uh, he, he writes that there's now a sense of urgency among GOP lawmakers to come up with a plan to replace some of the more popular components of Obamacare, like pre-existing conditions and allowing kids uh, up to 26 years of age to remain on their parents' health care plan. Uh, are you finding a similar concern or sense of urgency in your own reporting on uh, on GOP lawmakers on Capitol Hill? Uh, are they scrambling to find a, uh, a plan B here, so to speak? So we definitely hear that there is anxiety around this, but they do not have a plan. Our reporting has shown that they they do not have a plan on Capitol Hill for replacing the Affordable Care Act. The administration does not really have a contingency plan for what would happen if the courts struck 
Affordable Care Act down. Um, so while there might be a lot of sweating going on, there is not a lot of action. Let chaos reign. Uh, Alice Olstein uh, covers uh, national politics, Congress, the administration, and all the dysfunctional hell that comes along with it these days over at Politico. You can, of course, find, find her work at politico.com and follow her on the Twitters at Alice Olstein. Alice, great talking with you again, and I suspect we'll be calling again in the, uh, in the near future with everything that's going on. All right. Thanks so much. Thanks, Alice. Okay, quick break, and we're back with Desi Doyen and the Green News Report and some more breaking news on that House vote to condemn Donald Trump as racist. Looks like the vote's in. We'll give you the results right after this. I'm Brad Friedman. This is the Bradcast. Stay tuned. The Bradcast and the Green News Report are 100% independent, 100% listener-supported. But we can't do it alone. We need you. Please help us bring real facts to listeners at independent stations around the nation. Please drop by bradblog.com donate. That's bradblog.com donate. And thanks. Let's see here. It looks like uh, this uh, House resolution, non-binding House resolution condemning Donald Trump for being a racist has, in fact, passed in the U.S. House after uh, what the New York Times is calling a, a, a bitterly partisan brawl on the House floor that showcased deep rifts over race, ethnicity and political ideology in the age of Trump. Uh, it was, they say, one of the most polarizing exchanges on the House floor in recent memory. John Lewis, Democrat of Georgia, an icon of the civil rights movement, thundered on the floor. I know racism when I see it. I know racism when I feel it. And at the highest level of government, there is no room for racism. Apparently, the uh, Republicans thundered back not to uh, defend uh, Donald Trump and his racism, but to attack the Democrats for bringing the matter up at all, that they're the ones who are out of line for describing Donald Trump as a racist based on his racist tweets, which Donald Trump then thundered on Twitter that this was horrible and that it's the Democrats in this case who have said horrible, disgusting things and that they should be the ones who are uh, condemned for it. It sounds like quite the brawl, a lot of chaos, as usual. Uh, no, even more than usual, it sounds like. And in this case, uh, all the Democrats, I believe, voted in favor of condemning Trump and four Republicans came along with them. So with that fun out of the way, let's get to something that doesn't matter at all. <laughs> our latest Green News report. The tropical storm threat, as you know, is over. New Orleans dodges a bullet, but Hurricane Barry's impacts are not over by a long shot. U.S. marks its wettest 12-month period on record again. Plus... We had kind of sin sincerely regret uh, the power disruption and the impact it had on the uh, lives and businesses of, of the people of this great city. Major blackout in New York City exposes infrastructure vulnerabilities. All of that exposure and more straight ahead from bradblog.com. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyen. Stand by for six minutes of independent green news, politics, analysis, and snarky comment. Folks, really, America can't maintain our infrastructure, can't update our power grid, 
We can't get off oil. Can't even secure our elections. Here's an idea. Instead of going to Mars, how about we just stop treating Earth the way Led Zeppelin treated hotel rooms? <laughs> oh, Led Zeppelin slam. This is your Green News Report. Okay, Desi Doyen, I hope that Hurricane Barry served as a warning for the future, but somehow I have a feeling that it won't. Am, <laughs> am I too cynical? No, unfortunately, I don't think you are. However, the city of New Orleans did dodge a bullet from Hurricane Barry, which made landfall on Saturday as the first hurricane of the 2019 season. The rainfall fell well short of early predictions of a deluge that combined with Hurricane Barry's storm surge and the historic on going floods on the Mississippi River did have the potential to overwhelm the city's pumping systems. And the city's levee system. Indeed. Here's New Orleans Mayor LaToya Cantrell. Uh, We absolutely made it through the storm. Um, Beyond lucky, we were spared. It seemed as those bands moved closer to New Orleans, it seemed to just go around us. But Barry's dangerous torrent of rain finally did arrive on Monday, with the National Weather Service issuing flash flood warnings as Barry's remnants traveled north and east into other states. The lower Mississippi River has been in flood stage since January 6th. That is the longest flood event on record in the U.S., and the floods may not recede below flood stage until the end of summer. Wow, really? Really. And that's a problem because earthen levees on the river were not designed to withstand the intense pressure of floodwaters for so many months. So there's a fear that those earthen levees could just give way and the Mississippi River takes over? Pretty much. But even before Hurricane Barry made landfall, the National Oceanic and Atmospheric Administration had announced that the United States had just had its wettest 12-month period on record. If that sounds familiar, it should, because it beat the previous record that was set just last month, which beat the previous record that was set just the month before. In recent years, studies have found that hurricanes and rainstorms are dumping more rainfall in the United States, a sign that climate change is making tropical cyclones and storms wetter, in line with what climate scientists predict we'll see with man-made global warming. NOAA also confirmed in a new report that costly high tide flooding is spiking more often along U.S. coasts because of rising sea levels. Those are causing more damages to streets, septic systems, homes and buildings much more frequently than in past decades. The frequency of nuisance or sunny day flooding now hits coastal communities twice as often as it did just 20 years ago. Mm. Nicole LaBeouf, acting director of NOAA's National Ocean Service, said, quote, We cannot wait to act. This issue only gets more urgent and complex with each passing day. Yeah, well, have some patience, Ms. LaBeouf. We are going to have to wait and wait and wait, I'm sorry to say. Meanwhile, India, Nepal, and Bangladesh have not been as fortunate as New Orleans. After a deadly heat wave and crippling drought over the last month, the annual summer monsoon rains finally materialized, but the extremely heavy rains triggered flooding and landslides that have killed more than 100 people and forced more than 2 million to flee their homes. 
Finally, the cause of that big blackout in New York City's midtown Manhattan on Saturday evening is still under investigation. Equipment failure is the likely cause, according to Con Edison electric utility officials. They have, however, ruled out high demand and a cyber attack or a physical attack. Now, if it actually was a cyber attack, do you think they would have told us it was a cyber attack? That's a good point. Don't know. New York Governor Andrew Cuomo criticized the utility for being slow to upgrade its aging infrastructure. It is unacceptable. We need a better power system. We need a better power grid. The system has to be designed with redundancies. Con Ed workers are rushing to make repairs in advance of an upcoming heat wave. And deferred maintenance is a problem across the entire nation's rickety electric grid as extreme weather events increase in frequency and intensity. Oh, I'm sure everything will be all right. No rush. Take your time. Have patience. For much more on all of these stories and the ones we couldn't get to today, please check out our website at greennews.bradblog.com. Find, follow, and share us planetwide on the Facebooks and the Twitters at Green News Report. I'm Brad Friedman. And I'm Desi Doyle. And this has been your Green News Report. That song's a blast, a blast from the past. <laughs> very far back, indeed. Thank you very much, Desi Doyen. And uh, as I say, uh, as I said earlier, this uh, House resolution has passed. Uh, Donald Trump is a racist, according to the uh, House uh, representatives and their vote. Uh, Donald Trump uh, was critical of Republicans for even entertaining this, calling, saying that it showed weakness on their part. And uh, he said uh, they should shift instead to what he called horrible, all caps, horrible things said by the four liberal freshmen here. He said, quote, this should be a vote on the filthy language, statements and lies told by the Democrat congresswomen who I truly believe, based on their actions, hate our country. Oh, Trump is projecting again. This is getting fun, isn't it? Mm. Imagine how impeachment's going to go when uh, and it, when and if they have that vote uh, from Al Green of Texas, who is uh, says he's he's formally introducing articles of impeachment within the next few hours. The fun never ends here on the broadcast. We will uh, <laughs> pick this all up, I suspect, tomorrow. Until then, my thanks to our producer, Desi Doyen, to my guest today, Politico's Alice Olstein, and to all of you for spending a portion of your day or night with us. It is always greatly appreciated and an honor. If you missed any portion of today's show or any other, you can find, follow, and uh, share it planet-wide via bradblog.com, where you can download all of our shows going back many, many years. You can also find, follow, and share me on the Twitters and the Facebooks at the Brad Blog. Drop me email if you like. I'm bradcast at bradblog.com. And my thanks to those of you who stop by bradblog.com slash donate to keep us up and on your public airwaves day in and day out as long as uh, all of us can stand it bradblog.com/donate thank you to those of uh, to those of you who help keep us on the air that is it until we meet again tomorrow i'm brad friedman good luck world Woo!